Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Well, good morning, everybody. I hope everyone has had a fantastic weekend. I'm excited to be here this morning and, and jumping into our, our topic today. Uh, one thing that we do here is that we are walking through books of the Bible systematically, um, one verse at a time. Uh, the reason I like to preach this way is, if I can be honest, a couple of reasons. Number one, it keeps us uh, flowing in the right track. We have a theme that we're walking through. Number two, it also keeps us uh, contextually accurate, so I don't pick and choose random verses at a time to make my own topics seem to fit. And third, if I can be even more honest, it's super easy. So uh, one of the hardest things, I've been uh, pastoring for 22 years throughout my life, and one of the hardest things to do sometimes is to figure out your starting point. When I already know I'm going into Acts chapter 6 because I was in 5 last week, man, this is a, a beautiful starting point. Um, so today we are starting in Acts chapter 6. Uh, we talked last week a little bit um, through Acts chapter 6, um, and the first little bit was about how the, uh, there was an issue in the church where people were grumbling and complaining. I understand that was a first century issue. We don't have that in 2023 at all. Um, I know it's a crazy thought, church people complaining. Um, but they were complaining, and they had a legitimate issue. The legitimate issue is this, is that one group of the church felt like their widows weren't being taken care of. And the other ones, the other group was being shown favoritism. And so we talked about that last week, and one of the solutions through that process was that they would anoint, if you will, or appoint seven individuals to help fix the problem. Uh, the big part of that was, number one, that the apostles kept doing what the apostles were called to do. And the people who were empowered were empowered to do what they were called to do. It's an idea we like to say, stay in your lane. Uh, I, I have that problem quite often. Um, I come by it naturally because it's something that happens um, that I inherited from my dad, and that is just, just doing everything for everything at all the times because, can I be honest, no one can do it better than me. And then come to find out, I'm one of the worst that does everything. So y'all are anointed to do your work so much more better, more, more oof, even in grammar, so much more better, uh, roll tide, so much better than I am to see the fulfillment of God's promise in your life. Don't you want to be fulfilled in life? Can I tell you, your job, what you get paid to do, may not fulfill you, but the works of the cross in your life can fulfill you in ways that you can't even imagine. Why? Because your employer did not create you. She said amen to that one. <laughs> but God did. He knows exactly what you're called to do, exactly why you're here on this earth. I have this conversation uh, periodically with different people, and that is this. I want you to picture how in the world you ended up in Millbrook, Alabama. How many people here are natives of this location? Yeah, exactly. The vast majority of you guys are implants. You guys were here by the military, you were here by a job, you were here by marriage, you were here by happenstance. Maybe your car broke down and you just got a job to fix it because you couldn't fix it and you just stayed. I don't know, but God put you here. How about this? How, think of all the churches you passed on the way here today. 
or all the other options to go to the lake, to stay at the pool, to hang out in your pajamas. But God has you here for a specific purpose. And this is the cool part of this whole thing. God is not subjected to time. This is how we have prophetic words in the Bible, where he was able to go in the future, come back in the past, and say, this is what's going to transpire. And if that's the case, and every single person was created on purpose, not maybe by your mom or dad, but by God himself, then he puts you in a specific spot at a specific time for a specific purpose. I'll put it this way. Pick one of the greatest heroes in the Bible. Crazy faith, like Noah. If Noah was born now, he would have no purpose in life because there's quite a big drought. There's no big flood coming through. He'd be standing there being a crazy person trying to build a boat that's never going to be used. But no, God put him in the right place at the right time, and God's placed you at the right place at the right time. He knows what he's doing, and you can rest assured in this. So here we are in Acts chapter 6, and we're going to pick up in verse 5. So everyone's complaining, and the apostles meet, and they have this idea, and it says this in verse 5, and the saying of them picking seven pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and a bunch of other guys. And when they had prayed, the apostles laid hands on them, and when the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many, listen to this, of the priests were obedient to the faith. We kind of skim past that pretty quickly, don't we? But we're talking about the priest of the temple are watching what's taking place. Can I tell you? They're watching what's taking place in these seven. The pri- it doesn't say, and the priest came together to follow them because of the works of Peter or John. No, after they appointed the seven, Many great things were happening, and even the priest of the temple began to follow Jesus because of what they did. Can I tell you, when you are in the right place, on the right seat on the bus, doing what God's called you to do, people from all over the walks of life will flock to Christ because you are doing something that they can't do. That's living on purpose. And the priest, man, they're following them now. So now we pick back up. And we're going to read today, we're going to get through verses 8 through 15, and then when we're done, we're done. And Stephen, remember he was just mentioned as one of the seven, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose from what is called the synagogue of the freemen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Sicily and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And when they were not able to resist the wisdom and spirit by which he spoke, they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders, the scribes, and they came upon them and seized him and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you that these verses that we're covering right now, Lord, we just ask that you open our eyes to see and hear, ears to hear. Let us connect, Father God, to your word, not through just some uh, flashy sermon or something that has been studied, but God, through your spirit, your Holy Spirit, use us today to hear your word and make it relevant in 2023. In Jesus' name, amen. Back to verse 8, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. And there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freemen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Sicily and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. I love this part. Stephen, who was mentioned just a couple of verses later, has this title that he is full of faith and power. Faith and power. And I love this, he did great wonders and signs among the people. We'll get into the faith and power here in a second, but can I say something that's pretty cool to me, and that is this. He did great wonders amongst the people. What book of the New Testament did Stephen write? None. He didn't. See, a lot of times we hear this phrase about Jesus doing miraculous works in the place and go, well, Jesus did that so he could prove that he was who he said he was. And the apostles, they wrote the New Testament, so they needed to have these signs, wonders, and miracles to back them up to prove that they had validity to write in the New Testament. And let me tell you, while signs, wonders, and miracles does create validity, why would Stephen need to do something? He didn't have any validity. He didn't write anything in the New Testament. He didn't have a church of his own. In fact, all Stephen did was a glorified administrator. All he did was to walk the walk that was asked of the apostles for him, to feed and take care of the widows. That was his assignment. Stephen, take care of the widows. It's not unbelievably glamorous. But for some reason or another, God chose the average man to do miraculous works. Not just miraculous works. In fact, it says great wonders and signs. This isn't uh, David Copperfield going, pick a car, pick a car, any car, I can guess what it is. He's not pulling a rabbit out of a hat and doing some kind of cool tricks to gather the crowd together and he's, he's juggling to get your attention and he's going to preach the gospel. No, he's doing great signs and great wonders. But why? Why, why is God using this man? Why is this man who seemingly is not that super important being used in this way, can I tell you? Because God will use whoever wants to be used. He wanted to be used by God. And if you want to be used by God, I can't promise that your shadow is going to be cast on somebody and they're going to get healed. I can't promise that you're going to raise the dead. I can't promise that you're going to do incredible things like that. But what I can tell you is that if you follow God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, you will do incredible things. An incredible thing like living a life on purpose. An incredible thing like having a good marriage. An incredible thing like living with peace when the entire world has gone crazy. That's a miracle right now. Being able to sleep through the night. Miracle. <laughs> How about this? Being able to keep your peace when everyone else is talking about the destruction around. Houses are going to get expensive on one hand. All of a sudden, the, your house is going to be worth nothing on the next hand. 
In 24 hours, I watched the gas station across the street raise their price by 20 cents a gallon. In 24 hours. You know, this year compared to last year, the cost of living going to a Walmart is 50% higher. But you know what? If you haven't been able to tell, I'm not starving. (laughs) Because God provides. How? I don't know. But he provides. And when you're living a life following him, it's a life full of peace. It's not k-sera-sera. It's not bygones be bygones. It's doing exactly what it says here. Stephen full of faith and power. That word faith is interesting. Lauren's going to put it on screen here. It's a Greek word, and I love this word, and we use it all the time here. And, 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 and it's been used throughout any kind of church that would call themselves a, a word of faith church or a faith message you've ever heard. This is the definition of that word. It's right here, and it says the, con- the conviction of the truth of anything, a belief, a conviction or belief respecting man's relationship to God and the divine things, generally with the included idea of trust and holy fervor, born of faith and joined with it to relating to God. This word, faith, is used over 200 times. This word, faith, is an important part. But can I tell you where it kind of comes from, and, and I'm a nerd, and I've taken a million Bible classes and seminary and everything else that goes through, but here's the idea of this word. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have emails. They didn't have big contracts. They didn't have any of those things that we would have today. So when a merchant would load a ship and send it to another port, he had to have faith, this word, that when it arrived, the individuals unloading the ship would then put the money back on the ship to come back or a transaction of goods. I'm having faith that you're going to do your part, and I'm going to do my part. And here's another cool part about it. Some of your verses, maybe you have an ESV version, or a NLT version, or an amplified version. The word's not faith there. The word is grace. And there's not a big, huge controversy of, of what it means. We all know what this word means. But can I tell you, at the end of it all, this idea that I am in total reliance on him. Stephen, full of faith, not in himself. Stephen didn't have to have faith that I can do the impossible. Stephen had the faith that God can do the impossible I will just be available. That's the difference. One of the big things here that you're going to see throughout the the book of Acts is the reason why miracles take place is because men and women have made themselves available for the service of God. Stephen here is selling out. What's looking at going... I have full faith, I have full ability, I have full trust that whatever God says he wants to do, he will do it. I just step out. I send my ship out to sea with full trust that when it arrives to port, God will make it work. That's what faith is. I push my ship off having faith that it's going to arrive at the right port, and when it gets there, it's going to have the right transaction to take place. What faith is not is micromanaging. 
Faith is not me going, I'm sending my ship out to port, hopping on a plane, being at the next port, beating somebody up to make sure it happens the way I want it to happen. No, faith is going, God, I believe in you. It's a full sellout. Last night I was driving home and uh, I stopped at a gas station in, in Mississippi and, you know, Dad, the Powerball is like $250 million. <laughs> you ever been driving through, we don't have it here in the state, but through Georgia or Mississippi or Florida and you see that sign? Am I the only person that goes, and you start thinking what you would do with that much money? All of a sudden, of course, I'm a product of this man here, so I go, 250, well, 50% is going to taxes, thanks. And then I get myself upset, as if they deserve half of my taxes, as if I deserve 250 million for buying a $5, $10 ticket, whatever it is. And I find myself then starting to think, like what's the first thing, you know, this is not rhetorical, what, when, y'all, when y'all see that big lottery sign and you start to fantasize about winning and what you would do, what's the first thing that pops in your head? I heard whispers. Dad says tithe, good for you. Mine was a house. A nice house. No, Matt, no, he can stay where he's at. Cool, live in the tent. But, uh, or maybe yours was a car. Maybe it was living on the beach. Maybe it's having a lake house or a mountain house. Maybe it's uh, getting out of debt. Maybe it's new clothes. Maybe it's buying something nice for a loved one. I don't know. It has this thing. So then I'm standing there at Subway and looking at the sign going, and of course they put it where you're just staring right at it. And I'm like, that's a lot of money. And I didn't buy a ticket because I'm cheap. And I'm like, I'm not giving you my money. I'm not going to win. You know why I'm not going to win? Be- because it's one in 300 million odds. Those aren't good odds. <laughs> one in 300 million. But here's the thing that happens in my world as I start to do the math. So if I had... And, and we'll, we'll do some interaction here. People who are online, I'm sorry, you should have been in Perk Church. But uh, if, 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 you're, if you're here, if I told you, hey, if you give me 100% of your paycheck, I will give you one in 300 million odds that you would win $250 million. Anybody want that? Of course not. That's foolishness. It's just a waste. How about this? Let's make it interesting. So we're going to say a ticket costs 10 bucks. We can agree on that. Okay, how about this? How about if you give me uh, $20, if you give me 10% of your income, we'll go from 300 million odds to 30 million odds. No? No takers? 20% of your income from from 30 million to 3 million odds. Getting better. Drastically better. 30% of your income for 300,000 to one. Any takers? 40% at 30,000 to one odds for $300 million? 50% at 3,000 to one odds? No? 60% of your income at 300 to one odds? 70% at 30 to one odds? I got some head nods. How about this? You cut me a check for 90% of your income, and I'll give you three to one odds. Matt's in. 
Can I show you something that just took place there? The more investment you took, the more you're willing to say, I'll throw, you know, the, the, the more of, of the risk-reward changed, the more investment you're willing to take. But here's the crazy part of my life, and I'm just going to speak to me for a second, is for some reason in my head, I like to give God my 10% and expect him to do the incredible things. Or I expect God to give me 5%. He should be grateful that I'm here once a month. But I want to do signs and wonders and miracles. I want to be that guy that you use, God, as long as I only have to do this much. Here's the cool thing about this verse. Stephen sold out. And what did Stephen get in return? Signs, wonders, and miracles to be used by God. But the cool part about this is it's a two-sided coin. Just because Stephen sold out doesn't mean he earned something. No, because that word is also used for grace. It's something that you didn't deserve. And because Stephen was standing there preaching this idea, full of faith and full of grace, that I didn't deserve this, but Jesus did all of these things, you know what happened? People hated him for it. Why? Because humanity hates the idea of grace. We do. I'm a pastor, and I don't like the idea of grace. Because I want to know that if I do what's right, and I do this right now, that I will get what I deserve. And if you don't do it, then you get what you deserve. But God doesn't care. Stephen wasn't one of the 12. He wasn't one of the apostles. More likely than not, he actually probably got in a relationship with Jesus post the resurrection. So he would be a second generation, if you will, Christian. So he didn't go through all the stuff and slum through everything else like everybody else, but for some reason, Stephen's named, but there were other people that were there from day one. We know this because when Judas hung himself, they pulled together those people who had been with Jesus since the beginning to fill his spot, and there was more than one. But they're not mentioned. In fact, the one that took Judas's spot really isn't heard from again in the Bible. But Stephen is. So why is it fair that he does the bare minimal according to everybody else? He didn't pay his dues like I did. Why does he get that? Because Stephen gave everything he was to the cause of Christ. We cannot expect God to fill us with his power, fill us with his presence, fill us with his love, and fill us with his joy if we're going to do everything on my own accord. The Jews begin to dispute with Stephen. They begin to argue with Stephen. One version says debate. This isn't a single person. These are people from four different areas. And they're beginning this debate. I'm going to fast forward. They begin this debate. They cause people to lie against Stephen, and they have Stephen arrested on the spot. Spoiler alert, they kill Stephen. So here's the question. How did they know, how does Luke know, who wasn't there, mind you, how does Luke know what they were talking about? 
Anybody? So they were Cyrenians, Alexandrians, Sicily, from people from Sicily and Asia. And I find it pretty cool that as we, we dive into this and, and, and we become Bible nerds and we go through all this cool, there's a place that's called Tarsus from one of these areas. And there's a man from those areas named Saul. Saul, the mastermind of the New Testament. Saul, who is a genius. We call him Paul now, an absolute genius, loses a debate against Stephen. And there's no record that Stephen was that intelligent. But you know what he did have? The Holy Spirit inside of him. He operated through wisdom and spoke what God told him to spoke. And it did something crazy it outdid the smartest minds in the area. They gathered these men together because they were the best and the brightest to make this man, an idiot Stephen, look like a fool. And he spoke words that they could not handle. So what do they do? They create a lie. This is Paul. This is Mr. New Testament doing this. And you think you can't get connected with God? This is masterminded by the guy who wrote the vast majority of the New Testament. This guy's better than me? Let's lie about him. Let's say he's doing something else. How do we know this? Because later on we see Paul holding the coats of those who stoned Stephen. Later on we hear Paul make a statement that I voted to kill them. Paul when he says, I'm the chief of sinners, he wasn't joking. <laughs> and they were unable to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Up until this point, the disciples, the apostles, the Christians have been persecuted by word and sometimes they'd get beat up, but that's about it. So I don't know what Stephen was anticipating here. But now we're raising the stakes a little bit. They're going to create a blasphemous statement. Isn't it interesting they say later on that they say Jesus is going to tear down the temple. He's going to undo everything that we've been going through. He never said that. They twisted his words. But here's the cool part about this verse. And can I tell you it's a, it's a side of caution here. And that is this. He did great signs and wonders among the people. The previous chapter says that the synagogue was afraid to do anything to the apostles. Why? Because the people loved them. Isn't it funny how in one chapter, those who love you want to stone you? Popular opinion is not the lifeblood of any religious organization. 
We cannot live our faith because what's popular and what's not. What's trending and what's not. You have to find yourself grounded in the word that if the people love me, amen. If the people hate me, amen. I'm following Jesus with everything that I've got. And while the people were around them and the people loved them, man, they were all over the place. They're healing people. They're feeding people. They're working out. They're doing all the things and the people are loving this. And now other people decide to create a lie. Isn't that interesting? Maybe it's like you every once in a while where you have these people that are your ride or dies. They're your friends. They're your bros. They're your girls. Whatever it may be. And then somebody takes what you say out of context. And now the people that were once with you are against you. Am I the only person that's happened to And you look at them and go, I thought we were close. I thought we were friends. Why didn't you come to me and ask me, is this true? They don't do that. No, they want a salacious story. It's in the heart of humanity to see each other ripped to shreds. Because the heart is deceitfully wicked, and it's prideful, and it's, content, it's full of contention, and it can only think of itself. Flesh is not of God. And so you're going to tell me a story, true or not, that can undermine that person and promote me? The ends don't justify the means. Have we not seen this through politics? I'll create a lie against one person to ruin them, and then afterwards go, oh, my bad. Politicians do it. Uh, Your coworkers do it. Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. But you know what's crazy? When I make up a story about my coworkers and I tell the people about it, even if I go, oh, I was misinformed, it still creates a seed inside of them to make them question that person's validity for the rest of their life. Coworkers do it. You know who else does it? Church people do it. I need you to pray for Pastor Allen Orlando because I heard through the grapevine He's dealing with some issues. I don't want to say any issues, but they're issues. They're big ones. Not the small ones, the big ones. I'm not going to say anything. Like, I don't want to uncover him, but how do I say this? Um, They're life-changing. I mean, his marriage could be in jeopardy if all this came out. But I'm not going to say what it is. Just be praying for him. It could be a health issue. It could be a financial issue. It could very well not even be a sin issue. But now all of a sudden, your minds started wondering. It's not real, by the way. Good God. But when I up the ante and said his marriage may be in trouble, instantly you began to fill in the gaps with your imagination. Because when information is not readily available, we will fill in the gaps with our imagination. 
And when it comes to relationships, when it comes to friendships, when it comes to people, this is one of the biggest issues that we have with gossip, with strife, with contention, is because we don't ever tell the full story. We tell a piece of the story, and we'll let your imagination fill in the rest. And then when you retell it with your imagination to somebody else, they get to create a new story too with their imagination. And now all of a sudden, Pastor Allen, who may be having a health issue or a financial issue, is now selling crack on the corner <laughs> to feed, to, to help her shopping habits. <laughs> I didn't say it was true. Don't represent. Come on, Mom. <laughs> Her Starbucks habit. No. But this is what takes place. We cannot live our lives in the shadows in fear that somebody is going to lie about us. We cannot live our lives in shadows of speaking truth because somebody will not like what we have to say. Can I say, I'm not telling you to get in somebody's face and be the uh, whatever, Westboro Baptist Church. Like, that's not what I'm telling you to do where they're picketing soldiers' funerals and tell them they're all going to hell. Like, I'm not telling you to be that person. That's horrible. But I am telling you to live your life on your convictions unapologetically because it's what truth is. Truth stands firm. Yes. Even when everybody abandons you, truth stands firm firm. Even if you're standing alone, truth stands firm. And we cannot water down truth for a popularity contest. And if we want to just fill seats, we can fill seats. But one thing I'm always going to do is in love not throwing anybody under the bus, but in love, say, truth is truth, even if it's unpopular. Right is right, wrong is wrong. I myself have done a lot of wrong things. Paul stands up and says, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm giving him a run for his money. But one thing that I do know with all my heart is that what God says is true even if I don't understand it. I put my faith behind that. I put my actions behind that. I put my heart behind that. And I will put my life behind that because his truth does not change. Have you noticed how much truth changes based on who you talk to? But for Stephen, it was non-negotiable. This is the fact. This is the truth. Jesus of Nazareth is the way, is the truth, is the life, the end. These guys want to debate about the, 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 the law of Moses. These guys go, well, justify what I'm doing too. Validate my stance. Validate my opinion. Validate what I want. And Stephen's going, I can't validate your wrongness. Can I tell you, there's a lot of great people who serve other false religions. Great people. Great people. They feed the homeless. 
They take care of the poor. They give scholarships to those who are in need. They send aid to places. But their good deeds do not mean that everything in their life is validated. And your wrong deed doesn't mean that everything in your life is invalidated. Because truth doesn't need my validity nor yours. It's just going to be truth. I can stand here all day long and talk about how I'm against gravity all day. But if I drop this, it's going to fall. Whether I speak against it or not. Whether I validate it with my words or not. Whether I wear a I love gravity t-shirt or not. Or I hate gravity t-shirt. Or whatever it may be, gravity is gravity no matter what I say or do. And the word of God is going to always be the word of God, no matter what you say or do. They stirred up the people. Blasphemous words against Moses, blasphemous words against God, blasphemous words against the holy place, blasphemous words against the law, Jesus this and Jesus that. But one thing Stephen wouldn't do is do something that many of us have done, and that is make his church his idol. This is a weird spot to be in. Hi, my name is Pete, and I'm a pastor, but my church is not the only church that speaks the truth. This whole idea is not to pit one church against another church. I have great pastor friends that love God. We may have different styles of music or different styles of clothing or different styles, you know, nuances, but they love God with all their heart. And what you have to do, whether it's this place or anyone else, is find a place that will speak truth. Whether they've got cool lights, whether they've got air conditioning, or whether they ride a horse, whether they they have a nice car, whether it's full of 10,000 people or it's full of 10 people, find a place that speaks truth. And what Stephen does is he pokes the bear. He pokes the bear because the temple is meant to do one thing and one thing only, and that is to connect people to God through sacrifice. The temple in and of itself may be a holy place, but it does not overthrow who it's supposed to be worshiping. And what was taking place in this period of time is they put the place above the relationship with God. They began to talk about how great their temple was and how much sacrifice they did and how awesome they were. And the problem is, is that I never want to live my life where your eyes are on me as if I am the best thing since sliced bread. Definitely not. But he always is. He always is. And we have to find ourselves in a proper relationship with God first full of truth, full of passion, full of love. Because when they start the lies, which we're going to see in chapter 7 next week, man, things escalate fast, and you've got to have something to hold on to. This happened to Daniel. This happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This happened to Abraham. This happened to Moses. And it's going to happen to you, is that people will lie. Newsflash. What are you going to do when they come up against you? What are you going to do when your friends betray you? What are you going to do when powerful people tell you that what you should or shouldn't do, what you should or shouldn't say, and how you should or shouldn't live? 
This is not fear-mongering, but every day of our lives. This is not some big political speech. Good Lord. Since the beginning of our faith to today, people are uncomfortable with living a life full of justice and truth. What are you going to do about it? Next week, we'll talk about that. But here's the last thing I want to say. And all who sat in the council looked at him and saw that his face, his face shone like an angel. His face through trial and tribulation was a face, not a 10,000 yard stare. His face wasn't angry and revengeful. No, his face was in perfect peace and in confidence because he knew where his trust was. His face reflected the glory of God just as Moses did in Exodus. He was not filled with terror and he was not filled with fear because he knew that his life was in the hands of God. And whether he was about to breathe his last and go into eternity or face another day, he did not care. And today, as we wrap this up, there's terror all around. There's fear all around. There's craziness. Man, even I've partaken in it recently when I've talked about hurricanes that are probably going to be coming up because how hot the Gulf is, to droughts that are taking place, to what's going on with this world, and, and from, from politics to economies to, to global markets to you name it, we're inundated with fear. Fear, fear, fear. Maybe you're dealing with fear. Maybe you're dealing with dread. Maybe you're dealing with terror. Maybe you're afraid to go out. Maybe you're afraid to do anything in life, and you've been held captive by that. Can I tell you, that's not God's plan for your life. We don't ignore the issues in this world. We do not ignore the signs that are happening. But one thing that we can do is we can have confidence and peace in who he is. He is the God of peace. In fact, his title is Prince of Peace. And if you're struggling with that, I'll tell you to do like Stephen did. And that was to give God your whole heart, even the places you're afraid. It's not a salvation call. Well, maybe for your peace, salvation call. But it's not a going to heaven or going to hell call. But one thing I've noticed in my life is sometimes when I'm dealing with, with, with fear, when I'm dealing with dread, when I'm dealing with terror, it's because I haven't given God access to speak his truth about that situation and scenario in my life. Peace. He wants to give you perfect peace, no matter what. And if you're here today and you go, Pete, I need that because I'm not sleeping, because I'm stressed out, I have an ulcer, I've got whatever's going on with all of this stress and anxiety and worry and whatever's going on. All you have to do is to connect with Jesus to say, Jesus, I want to give you that fear. I need your love in this area of my life. I need your peace today. And last but not least, when you go home tonight and you're getting into your bed, do you know God gives you a promise about your sleep? In fact, the Bible says he gives sweet sleep to those who serve and love him. Laying down, ask Holy Spirit for good sleep and watch what takes place when you're falling asleep with peace in your heart.
Father, today as we wrap this up, I just thank you that as we, we come before you that we don't have to deal with terror by day and terror by night. We don't have to deal with issues of hand, but God, we can stand tr- true to your word, stand true to your peace, stand true to your truth that you are the supreme authority, even if everyone else is against us and even if everyone else hates us and even if everyone else wants to chastise us and tell us how wrong we are or how right we are and they're supporting us, your truth remains the same. And I thank you that you're unwavering in your truth. God, today, as we wrap up this part, Lord, let peace flow into hearts today. Right now, peace flow into hearts. Speak to the fear with your love and cast it out in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We love you guys so very much. We can't wait to see you all next week as we talk about Stephen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.